ESPN Radio. This is ESPN Radio on the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, and on ESPN Plus. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. I'm Amber Wilson. He's Harry Douglas. We are taking you up until 7 p.m. Eastern. You can tweet to us at AmberW790 at HDouglas83. You can also join the conversation on the Canty Call-In line at 1-888-SAY-ESPN. That is 888-729-3776. Deshaun Watson had his introductory press conference with the Cleveland Browns. We will get to all of that sound. There's a lot to unpack there. We will get to that in just about 20 minutes from now. But first, last night was madness. So that's where we have to start. And it's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. And last night, Harry, more brackets were busted. I don't know if yours was already busted. Mine was busted before this tournament even started, which is why I didn't even bother to film one out, all right? But I learned a long time ago that this is not my game when it comes to picking these brackets. But everyone's was busted and more went down last night as the Gonzaga Bulldogs and the Arizona Wildcats fell short of the Elite Eight. The Zags, who, of course, were the tournament's number one overall seed, they lost to the Arkansas Razorbacks 74-68. to And then the Wildcats couldn't overcome the fifth-seeded Houston Cougars, 72-60. It would be the Cougs' second consecutive Final Four trip if they can get past also triumphant Villanova. Typically, Harry, the number two one or two ones going down would be the story of the night. But I'd say actually the story of the night last night was a team that is moving on to the Elite Eight in the Duke Blue Devils. They got it done against the three seed in the Texas Tech Red Raiders, 78 to 73 in an exciting one. So now that we're down to one number one seed in Kansas, how important do you think it is that the Dukies are still there for us? Oh, Amber, I think it's very important, and not just because of the name Duke, but because of the name of uh, Coach K. I think Coach K, and this, this being his last season, his last go-round, a lot of people want to see him go out on top, on top. And if he doesn't go out on top, at least make the championship game. Now, when I look at these brackets that are left, right, Duke has an opportunity. If they continue to move on, along with the North Carolina Tar Heels, they continue to move on. Those two teams have an opportunity to meet each other in the Final Four. And what better matchup would you want than to have two tobacco – you go on down Tobacco Road and you have the UNC Tar Heels versus the Duke Blue Devils. And the last time I remember, Amber, when these two teams played each other, the last time at Cameron Indoor Stadium, the Tar Heels came out with that victory. So I think it's very, very vital for college basketball and not just college basketball, but for Coach K as well as you've seen those players put everything on that floor because they didn't want Coach K to go out a certain way last night. UNC would have to get past UCLA tonight. That game will tip off at 9.39 p.m. tonight. But that would be quite the matchup if we were able to see that at some point in this tournament. And I do wonder if that game kind of sparked both of those teams. UNC obviously playing in this tournament, getting this far from the last round as an underdog. They're going to have to do it again as an underdog tonight. And maybe that win over Duke at the end of the season, spoiling Coach K's regular season ending, maybe that gave them that added extra confidence And then with the Blue Devils, maybe it was kind of a kick in the butt because the Dukies have been closing out games in a way that we did not see them do during the regular season. It was a big problem for them earlier in the regular season when we saw them play the Virginia Techs of the world. And here in the tournament, what we saw last night against Texas Tech is a team with a lot of fight that is not ready to let Coach K's last dance end just yet. 
listen, Amber, when you talk about the Duke Blue Devils, during the season, you just alluded to this, they struggled to close out games. The last two games against Michigan State and against Texas Tech, they did just that, especially in the last five or six minutes or so in those ball games. And I've been very impressed with these young guys growing up right before everyone's eyes. And I know you can see the smile on Coach K's face talking about these, these young prospects that he has that, that, that someday are going to play in the NBA. But – a guy that I'm very, very high on right now is Jeremy Roach. I'm glad he was inserted into the starting lineup during the NCAA tournament because I am big on guard play. If you have good guard play in the NCAA tournament, you have a chance, not just a chance to win one or two games, but a chance to go deep, possibly make a Final Four, possibly win a national championship. But then the other guy that they have, Ben Carroll, who's going to be a lottery pick, that young man is something special. You, every time Duke came down the floor, especially late in that ball game, the offense was ran through him. He got to a sweet spot, and what did he do? Bing, he nailed it. What did Dickie V used to say? He's a PTPer, baby. He's a primetime player. He's a PTPer. He's a diaper dandy. But that diaper dandy right there can play the game of basketball at a very high level. Now, what I loved about the game last night was Coach K listening to his players, right? Sometimes that's hard for coaches to do, to let go of their pride and listen to players and see what they want to do throughout a basketball game. So they went zone, which played dividends, paid, paid huge dividends because Texas Tech was, was getting to the rim effectively and often. They played zone. They eliminated that, made Texas Tech shoot, which they aren't a, sh- a good shooting basketball team. And then when the players came over and said, hey, coach, we want to go back man coverage. That's what they did. Played man-to-man defense. And I was impressed against Michigan State uh, in the closing moments of the ball game because they stepped up defensively as well in that game. So if we continue to see Duke step it up on the defensive end, especially late in ball games when they got to get stops, I think they have enough players offensively with Wendell Moore Jr., with Mark Williams, uh, Ben Caro, and then you have Jeremy Roach, and then you have Kills who, who gets you to hustle plays and has that size and can defend. I think they have a chance to make it far. But I do know Coach K is preaching right now. We're going to take one game at a time, and I just love Coach K walking into every single game with his wife. What better way to win and celebrate than to walk in with the person who's been there with you through the thick and thin, through hard times and great times. Shout out to Dickie V, by the way. This tournament misses his voice as he is battling cancer or kicking cancer's booty, I should say, uh, and recovering from doing just that. Jeremy Roach, you mentioned him. The sophomore put up 30 points on 21 shots over the past two wins, added five assists last night against the Red, Red Raiders. We always know that Coach K's rotation is going to be talented, but that's a kid who has bounced in and out of the rotation, like you said. To see him stepping up when the lights are the brightest in this tournament is just so big. Such a big moment it feels like to me all of these players are rising to the challenge they really understand it which I was concerned there with what UNC did in that Super Bowl like setting at Cameron Indoor I was a little concerned the moment might be too big for some of these young guys but apparently not well I'll tell you early in that ball game yesterday against Texas Tech Duke started out flat and I seen Jeremy Roach come down use the bounce get to the lane, dish the ball off to his big man and get a basket for him. A basket that was very, very much so needed because of the slow start. Now, 15, 11 of the 15 points that Jeremy Roach scored in that game came in the second half. I also seen him in the game against Michigan State come up with key plays in that game. And just to see him grow, and for a guy who, who wasn't starting late in the year, to come into the NCAA tournament and to start and make an impact like that, it's going to pay dividends for this team, and it already has the last two games.
Jay Will was on, of course, Jay Will, Keyshawn, uh, Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Max. Let me get the order of those names correct. He said the Dukies can go all the way. Three games ago, man, I would have told you there was no way in hell this team was even going to get to the second weekend. Like, no way they would get to the second weekend. thought they would lose to Michigan State. I remember talking to Trajan and, and Ellen Brand and be like, man, we're not that good. Like, it, this is going to be so disappointing for Coach K's last run. Hear me when I say this. This team can win a national championship. I have never once thought this entire season that I would hear myself say, Duke can win a national championship. You talk about their last game, Michigan State being down five or six points with three minutes left to go in the game. I was like, here we, this is, this is game winning time. What are we going to do? Jeremy Roach stepped up. And then even again, Texas Tech, like you're playing against men who are physical, going to zone in the second half. Three minutes to go left in the game. Jeremy Roach again, Paolo Bencaro stepped up. This team can win a championship. I never thought I would hear myself say that this year on Coach K's last hurrah. I'm starting to come around to Jay Will's line of thinking, and that is a story I don't normally want. In no other year (laughs) am I out here rooting for Duke, right? Because I just like the Goliaths to go down. But this year, it's a story, frankly, that even I want. It would be such a way to send out a historic career for Coach K. Coming up next, how did Arkansas beat Gonzaga, and is it repeatable against Duke? That's next, but first, a word from Wendy's. The number one pick is in Wendy's Breakfast, the official breakfast of March Madness. Every day, choose from Wendy's stacked starting lineup, like the breakfast Baconator or honey butter chicken biscuit. And like any great team, Wendy's is bringing the breakfast legends, oven baked sizzly, sizzling bacon, fresh cracked eggs, perfectly seasoned breakfast potatoes, and a simply orange juice to bring it home. Make a fast break to your nearest Wendy's drive through and pick up your Wendy's breakfast, the official breakfast of March Madness. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas here on ESPN Radio. We've been talking all things March Madness, and it was Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. So to move the March Madness conversation forward, we bring in Seth Greenberg, ESPN college basketball analyst. And let's start with Duke, since that's where Harry and I just finished off, Coach, where The difference for Duke seems to be, to me, in this tournament. Now they have found a way here when it matters most to finish games like we saw last night. That's something that seemed to plague them in the regular season. What do you think the biggest change has been for Duke so far? Yeah, the last two games, they've been terrific. The last five minutes of game, closing out games and dealing with the adversity and the pressure of not only the NCAA tournament, but Coach K's last year. Uh, And then Jeremy Roach, I think he's been a huge difference. Jeremy Roach giving him leadership, giving him toughness, giving him maturity, and making big plays at the end of the game. So I think they're closing off games, but it's why they're closing off games. Roach has been good, and Paolo Beccaro hasn't settled. He's been extremely aggressive. Uh, Mark Wilson, uh, Williams has been terrific defensively. So they've been efficient offensively and defensively in the last five minutes of the game, and they got five pros on the court. So when you're efficient and you're competing at a high level, uh, you have a good chance of, of closing out games. Now, Coach, we had two number one seeds go down last night, Gonzaga and Arizona. How did Arkansas beat Gonzaga, and is it repeatable against Duke? They're totally different teams, absolutely totally different games. Uh, if you look at how Arkansas won that game, they won it in a similar way that Baylor beat Gonzaga uh, in the championship game of the NCAA tournament last year. Got up and underneath their guards, pushed them out, distorted passing lanes, uh, basically disrupted the rhythm and the flow of the game, took them out of transition. And they took 
Andrew Nevard out of the game. And Andrew Nevard, I say he's not their best player, Gonzaga, but he's their most important player. Think about this. In the last 240 minutes of basketball that they've played, Gonzaga, he's played 236 of them. He has to be on the floor, and he's got to be good for Gonzaga to win. And he was one for 12, five turnovers, got into him, disrupted him, kept him out of the lane, uh, challenged him each and every play. So, you know, I look at Arkansas. They own the tempo and rhythm of the game. They impose their identity, which is defensively defense on the on the game. And then offensively, they attack, they attack, they attack, especially JT Note, who played for both teams at some times with a shot selection. But his aggressiveness along with Jalen Williams was the difference. So different game against Duke. I mean, Duke's a different team. You know, you, you know I'm not sure you can get into Duke and disrupt them. I think you can trap them. I think, you, you know, Eric Musselman's going to make it really, really hard for Bancaro and I think Jeremy Roach. I think, you know, he, he, his game plan is about taking away the the two most important players on the other team. And I think that's what I'll try to do. Seth Greenberg on with Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas. Do you think uh, Gonzaga skates a little bit in terms of the national narrative around that team? We're talking about a team that has made five NCAA tournament appearances as a number one seed, has yet to win a title. They were the favorite to do it this season. They were the favorite to do it last season. They're still searching for that first title. Amber, it's hard to win a national championship. This thing, this is this is the college football playoffs on steroids because you don't have to win two games; you got to win six games. Uh, they've knocked at the door. They've been the championship games. Uh, they're the winningest team in the NCAA tournament over the last ten years. Uh, they haven't been able to finish. And uh, you know, the one thing I would say is they probably got to look and say, right, how are we losing these games? Uh, they've got to figure out when people get underneath them and pressure them and get them out of their flow and their rhythm. They've got to compete harder offensively, and that's what happened last night. So what's the narrative? The narrative is, you know, most people's narrative is, oh, they play in the easy West Coast Conference. Well, yeah, they do, but look at their non-conference schedule. The non-conference schedule, they play who's, you know, anyone, anytime, anywhere. I mean, they play a great non-conference schedule. They've got beaten, uh, and that's going to happen. Uh, and, you know, they've got to get over the hub. You know, Jay Wright got to beat a lot also, and then all of a sudden he won that first national championship. And the narrative changed. Until you win that championship, uh, the narrative will not change. That's just the way it is. But basketball people understand just how good they are, how they play, uh, how complete their team is. But they do have to get more competitive uh, and more physical in the backcourt and more competitive when people get up underneath them. Coach, they told me to fill out a bracket, right? I filled out my bracket, and guess who I had winning? I had the Arizona Wildcats winning the entire tournament, but they lost last night to the Houston Cougars. And I got to ask you this. What happened to the Wildcats? Oh, man, I thought I had them too, Harry. Believe me. So we're in the same boat. Uh, I was at the 97 percentile until last night. Uh, The same thing that happened to Gonzaga, quite honestly. Uh, I mean, two very similar systems. Look, I said before that game, the one thing about Houston is, all right, they're going to defend and they're going to rebound, and they're going to punch you in the face. The two best cultures in college basketball, the two most competitive cultures in college basketball are Villanova and Houston. In fact, that game uh, tomorrow, is not, it's not going to be a rock fight. It's going to be a fist fight. But what, what, what Houston was able to do is they out-toughed out them. Think about all the hustle points. I, I can't equate the football area, but hustle points to me are second-chance points, transition mm-hmm. points. Points off turnovers. They owned the hustle points. They owned the hustle points. They they dominated the game again. They attacked the backcourt of Arizona, especially Kirk Kusa, uh, pushed them out a step. They blew up all those dribble handoffs and all the rhythm that basically Arizona does in terms of their flow. 
they were the tougher, hardest-playing team. I used to have a saying, a big saying in my in our practice facility at Virginia Tech, the hardest-playing, toughest team finds a way to win. And last night, Arkansas and Houston were the harder-playing, tougher teams. Coach, it's crazy to me because Benedict Matherin scored his first field goal with a minute and 34 seconds left to go in the first half. If that doesn't tell you that you're probably going to have a long night, I don't know what does. <laughs> and, that, and that goes back to Kelvin Sampson and Eric Musselman. Think about this, two former NBA guys. If you're a good coach, all right, you're not going to let the other team's best player beat you. That's just the way it is. Someone else has got to beat you. Like, like the other team's best player is not going to beat you. Just like the other team's best receivers should not beat you. That's right. And Calvin Sampson and Eric Musselman, their background is saying basically, all right, you're going to beat me, that's fine, but it's not going to be the dude that, you know, everyone's talking about. It's going to be someone else. And that's the one thing that is almost frustrating. Since I've been out of coaching, that was, that was always my philosophy. Since I've been out of coaching, I watch games and I see other teams where they let the other team's best player beat them. Like they, when, we, when we were fortunate to beat Duke with J.J. Reddick, J.J. Reddick wasn't beating us. He wasn't beating us. If you let the other team's best player beat you, then you didn't have a very good defensive game plan. And, uh, you know, I look at it, I look at what the job that, that Kelvin's done and the job that Russ has done, and, and that's exactly what they did. Coach, finally here on the way out, obviously we have several matchups tonight. Uh, the 15th seed in St. Peter's is going to try to continue this run. We've got a couple d- double digits matching up as well. Plus, hey, there is still a one seed left. Uh, Kansas is back out yeah. there tonight. What are you looking forward to in these matchups tonight? Well, first of all, you know, the one thing you talk about Kansas is game. Kansas is playing a game against a team whose average age is over 23 years old. Over wow. 23 years old. The average age of most of the teams in the NCAA tournament are over 21. It's the oldest NCAA tournament we've ever, we've ever had in terms of the teams remaining. A couple of them, I'm looking at Carolina and UCLA, two of the bluest bloods. And Jaime Hawkins has got to play well for, for UCLA to have a chance to win that game. He's averaging 21 a game, 54% from the field the last seven games. And he's going to match up with Brady Manick. But, you know, Hawkins is banged up. He's had a problem with his, his ankle. He's got to be good for... Uh, UCLA to be good. And then if you want to watch a matchup within that game, the other matchup I would watch is Tiger Campbell and R.J. Davis. R.J. Davis has been great. Changed Carolina's kind of DNA. You know, everyone's talking about St. Pete and, and Purdue, and, you know, it's a great story. Uh, St. Pete is a good basketball team. They're a really good defensive team. Uh, they're going to try to disrupt the rhythm of Purdue, push them out a step, force all those post passes a step further, try to spread them out offensively. I don't think they'll be able to do that. I think that Purdue will basically play their heels to the three-point line, keep it in front, use their size. And Purdue's got a guy named Jaden Ivey who's just different. He'll be able to create offense along with Trayvon Williams and Zach Eady. I call Purdue Noah's Ark. they got two of everything. I mean, their depth is, is, is incredible. Uh, those are two games that are going to be interesting. And then the Kansas team with Remy Martin is a different team. Remy Martin is a shot creator. He was hurt all season long. And he can score it. He takes a lot of pressure off Ochai Baji, Christian Brown, Jamal uh, 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 Wilson. So, I mean, that'll be a fun game to watch. Let me tell you, one thing about college basketball, never disappoints. I mean, every single game. I mean, you want to go to sleep, but you can't go to sleep. I mean, every single game is an interesting storyline. This has been a fascinating tournament. A lot has to do with the transfer portal. A lot has to do with guys coming back because of NIL. But uh, it's been a fascinating tournament. And, uh, 
you know, start at seven o'clock, you know, basically have a couple. Of, I don't, I don't drink those things, but Red Bulls, if you need to stay up and watch some great hoop. <laughs> yeah. Last year and this year, I think the most unpredictable tournaments in the history of the NCAA and maybe this one even more. So Seth Greenberg, ESPN college basketball analyst. Thanks for joining us, coach. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Enjoy the games. The college basketball season is winding down, and that means we must turn our attention to the Wendy's Wooden Watch. Go to ESPN.com and search Wooden Watch for the list of the Wooden Award nominees to watch as this season rolls on. The Wendy's Wooden Watch is brought to you by Wendy's Breakfast, the official breakfast of March Madness. Coming up next, we transition. I mentioned on the top of the show that Deshaun Watson was officially introduced as a quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. He addressed the media today. We will hear it all next. This is ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. The Cleveland Browns are trading with the Houston Texans and acquiring quarterback Deshaun Watson. I am totally fine with putting this guy on board as your quarterback. I will root for this quarterback because I can separate the moral from the football player. Well, the football player spoke to the media today as the quarterback for the Cleveland Browns at his introductory press conference and he was asked a whole lot about those morals. This is Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas here on ESPN Radio. So Deshaun Watson, he is the quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. So is apparently Baker Mayfield and Jacoby Brissett, but I digress. We know Deshaun Watson is going to maintain his position on that roster. Not so sure about Baker. We'll get into that probably later in the show at some point. So Deshaun Watson had his introductory press conference as a quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. He was asked a lot of hard questions. Harry and I spoke before the show in a pre-show meeting, and we kind of wondered what we'd get from him in this press conference. And Harry, you and I were wondering if you know he would just make some sort of statement that kind of covers it all, but wouldn't really answer the tough questions. And he actually was asked a lot of the tough questions and answered a lot of the tough questions. Here's Deshaun Watson addressing how he plans to fix his image. I know that there's going to be a stain that's probably going to stick with me for a while, but all I can do is keep moving forward and continue to, to, to show the person that I am, the true character, the true person, the true human being I am. Like I said before, I've never done the things that these people are alleging, and I'm going to continue to fight for my name and clear my name, and like I've been doing, just cooperate with everything that comes with it and just keep moving forward. And then as far as the job and, and what I need to do as a, on the football side is to lead this team, help this team win multiple, multiple games and Super Bowls. And that's my job is to continue to put all that together and work with the Cleveland Browns and, you know, just keep pushing forward. This presser seemed to focus far more on all that stuff than, frankly, it did on anything to do with actual football, Harry. Yeah, it did. And for Deshaun, when you're going to the Cleveland Browns, uh, you want to get involved in the, into the community, but you don't want to force things, right? Because you, you're going to have a lot of sensitive people about things that have transpired or the allegations that are going up against him uh, civilly. Now, you think about Cleveland Brown fans, right? You think about the women who support the Cleveland Browns. Some of those women might feel some type of way. You got to keep that in mind. You think about, you think about sexually assault victims. Some of those people might be Cleveland Brown fans. You got to keep that in mind. Um, you got to also say to yourself, how are they going to welcome me 
to the city of Cleveland. All these things you got to have in your mind if you're Deshaun Watson. But at the same time, if you know who you are deep down inside, you don't want to go outside your means of somebody that you're not. But at the same time, you have to be sensitive to the community, to people, not just in Cleveland, though, but period around the world. Because this is a this is this is a situation where uh, it's been national news and I think worldwide news. So you have to be sensitive to all those type of things moving forward. Deshaun Watson is going to continuously be asked these hard questions, I would imagine, at least for the next season, maybe the next few seasons during his tenure with the Cleveland Browns. He became the highest paid player in NFL history in the midst of all of these allegations from two dozen women alleging sexual misconduct and sexual assault. And we saw him, apparently his case was in front of another grand jury yesterday for a 10th criminal complaint. He was not indicted once again by another grand jury. I know Tony Busby, who represents the women, has said that there may be more cases in the future. Civil, there may be more criminal complaints in the future. This story is far from over. So Deshaun Watson certainly is going to be asked these questions over and over again. He did seem to me prepared and prepared well, and frankly, I think prepared well by his legal team. Here was an example of that. He was asked if he is going to settle the civil lawsuits. Here's his answer. Trying to settle the 22 civil suits? Um, That's not my intent. My intent is to continue to clear my name as much as possible, and that's what I'm focused on. If I was representing Watson, that's the exact thing I would I would want him to Listen, say. Because he says that's in my intent. Not that I'm necessarily yeah. not going to do it. That's in my intent right now. Yeah, because that, that's a tricky one, though, right? Because if you say the wrong thing, you may be incriminating yourself. You don't want to do that, especially with the civil cases, uh, uh, legal situation still going on. Well, right now there's nothing criminal on the table, but what you don't want to do is give the other side any sort of leverage or indication, and you don't want to act like you're going to easily settle anything, either just from that perspective of things as well. So it was the type of answer that, hey, this isn't my intent, and I'm you know, going to try to clear my name, which is what you would want to hear Deshaun Watson say if you're a Cleveland Browns fan, uh, but he didn't also tie himself to that, where if he does end up settling them, it's like, oh, well, that wasn't my intent, but things changed. Deshaun Watson also went on to say that he's looking forward to being able to tell his side of the story. I think the hardest part is just, I mean, having everyone, you know, come at me from different directions and without, you know, me be able to publicly speak on it because of the ongoing investigation. But, you know, I took the route of following my legal team and telling the truth to the, the legal side so I can bring my innocence. And then once, like I said before, it's resolved in the near future and hopefully I can speak freely on it. Now, Harry, I know people have been critical of Deshaun Watson in part, and I have been as well, but in part, some people have been critical because we haven't heard from him what he actually did or what he's fully done. We haven't heard a real explanation from him, from his side, his perspective of what transpired. And I've been saying that that's not possible for him right now, for him to publicly address any of that. He can't give us those details while there's active criminal investigations. And frankly, while there's pending civil suits, there's far too much at stake from the legal side of things. So from that perspective, you know, I do think he's telling the truth that he can't right now publicly speak on those things. But that's also why I was so critical of the Browns paying him now this incredibly insane contract. It's It's such an unusual situation because all over the league, there's guys who get paid after their legal woes. Just look at Tyreek Hill. That happens all over the league. But we're not used to guys becoming the highest paid anything during the midst of it all when they can't speak on it. Well, here's my thing when it comes to Deshaun Watson. When 
when the Browns traded for him, right, you're just not trading for a, a guy for the next two or three, four years. You're trading for him for the next eight to ten at the quarterback position, right? You got to remember, they drafted Baker Mayfield, the number one pick overall. He didn't pan out. In my eyes, Deshaun Watson in the NFL is a top five quarterback. So in doing that, some of the things that may have triggered the Browns is like, you know what, let's go ahead and lock this guy up for a long time, and we're going to deal with what we got to deal with, whatever comes with the situation. And I think that that was their mindset uh, when, when it came to Deshaun Watson. Now, if we're just talking about on the football field-wise, nothing off the football field, Listen, Deshaun Watson is a top five talent, and the Cleveland Browns have a roster to win now, not just win uh, their division, not just win the AFC, but potentially go somewhere and win a Super Bowl. So if you have that guy, you want to make sure you lock him up. It was the same thing I was telling people here in Atlanta. If if Atlanta would have been able to get the, the Deshaun Watson, they're not getting him for just three or four years. That's your quarterback for the next eight or ten years because everything starts at the quarterback position. Look at the roster. The proof is in the pudding right now with Cleveland. They have the roster to make noise, but the quarterback position has not been there for them. I think he planned to go to Atlanta, but then he got 230 million reasons oh, to go don't to you, Cleveland, don't you, Ohio. Don't you throw salt instead. and wounds over here, Amber Wilson. Don't you dare do that. But Deshaun Watson, uh, being asked and answering the hard questions, the Browns were also asked and answered some very hard questions as well. We will get to this more throughout this show because there's so much to unpack, uh, to unpack surrounding Deshaun Watson's introductory press conference. Coming up next, if Deshaun Watson is suspended this season, who should be the Browns' starting quarterback? I mentioned both Baker Mayfield and Jacoby Brissett still out there on that roster. That's next. ESPN Radio. Phoenix Suns got it done, Harry Douglas. Now, they already got it done in terms of uh, making the playoffs like five and a half weeks ago, something insane. But they got it done in terms of locking up the number one overall seed in their victory last night over the Denver Nuggets. Chris Paul returned from a broken thumb much sooner than expected. He helped them get this win. But the Suns weren't doing bad without CP3 on the court Either So now my question posed to you, because I know you love yourself some Devin Booker, but who is more important for a postseason run here for the Phoenix Suns? Is it Devin Booker or is it Chris Paul? Oh, man, this is tough because I actually grew up with Chris Paul, played with him in a lot of camps. My father's close with his father. So this is tough. But I'm going to have to go with Devin Booker because Devin Booker is the type of guy that when you need a bucket, he can get you a bucket at any point in time in a, ba- in a basketball game, whether it's from the free throw line, whether it's from the mid-range, whether it's driving to the hoop, pulling up, whether it's from three-point land. He is that guy. Now, Chris Paul, if you would have said last year, I would have said Chris Paul. But now a year with Chris Paul being there, and I'm, I love the emergence of Cameron Payne and what he's been able to do offensively. The last year around this time, Cameron Payne was just trying to get buckets. Now he understands the offense. He's under control. And when Chris Paul has been out, he's done a tremendous job. So I'm going to go with Devin Booker here. If I had to choose, I'm going with Devin Booker as well, namely because I've seen this team play now for the last, whatever, month and a half or whatever it's been since Chris Paul went out with injury. He hurts his hand. We kind of saw him at the All-Star break. Not really. We shouldn't have seen him at all at the All-Star break, finally, <laughs> or, or to be honest here. And then, of course, we saw the Suns go 11-4 and without him after the All-Star break. So I know what they look like without CP3. And I feel like, that. I mean, it's a very, very good Suns team without him as well he's just icing on the cake I guess in my opinion so because of that I'll put that onus on book but the truth is 
they need both of these guys out there in order to actually win a title. And they need both of these guys out there to be healthy. At 36 years old, CP3 is averaging almost 15 points, you know, over 10 assists per game. They need everything that both of those guys bring to the table in order to actually get not just a Western Conference title. That they may be getting. The West looks a a little bit more easy and a little bit more top-heavy here than the East, but I'm talking in terms of getting an NBA title. Listen, I'll tell you this. I was on first take with Jay Will and Cheney, and we had to talk about who was our best duo. I actually chose Chris Paul and Devin Booker. That's before Chris Paul actually got hurt because of the questions of Kyrie, will he be able to play? And then with uh, Embiid and James Harden, they haven't played that much yet. So I chose them two, then Chris Paul when he got hurt. But you are right. The truth shall set you free. They are yin and yang, and they go together, and they work very well together as well. They go together. So does Mikhail Bridges. So does DeAndre Ayton. I mean, Ayton was tearing it up in Paul's absence. They need every single one of those pieces in order to win an NBA title. ESPN Radio. This is ESPN Radio, Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. Give us a shout. At one eight eight eight, say ESPN. That's triple eight seven two nine three seven six seven six. You can also hit us up on Twitter at Amber W seven ninety and H Douglas eighty three. We were talking about Deshaun Watson's introductory press conference with the Cleveland Browns. We will get into that more throughout the show because a ton of sounds coming out of that press conference, including from the Browns GM as well. Lots of hard questions asked across the board. But I wanted to bring up to you, Harry, because I mentioned when we were discussing the press conference that the Browns right now have three quarterbacks. They have Baker Mayfield still on that roster. They have Jacoby Brissett. And of course, they have Deshaun Watson. Now, Deshaun Watson, because of all of his troubles, I have no idea when we're going to see him play football. We're still waiting to unpack that whole situation. We haven't heard anything from the NFL. I thought it was interesting that we got a 10th criminal complaint that went to a grand jury yesterday. We got that information because then it... It told us that there were still criminal investigations that I, I don't think that there's any any more out there, but at least as of yesterday, apparently there was. So that always slows the timeline down in terms of an NFL investigation. So at some point here, we'll get the word from the NFL on a potential suspension. We don't know what that is. Assuming it's significant and assuming it's this upcoming season, do the Browns turn then to a Baker Mayfield who apparently they can't move? Or, I don't know, maybe they're holding on to him to be a starting quarterback in Deshaun's absence. Or do they turn to Jacoby Brissett? Oh, this is easy for me. Do you have to turn to Jacoby Brissett? And here's why. When you look at Baker, in my mind, Baker is broken mentally. He's broken mentally when it comes to Cleveland. His feelings was hurt because they tried to pursue the Deshaun Watson trade, which I don't know why I didn't understand because Baker acted like he was playing phenomenal football at the time. Now, when you look at a, uh, Baker Mayfield, a guy like him, right, when I say he's broken, he's broken like a Russell Westbrook jump shot, right? You know, Amber, I was just in Vegas, right? When I was in Vegas, and you heard my voice when I came back from Vegas. I'm and right, with your Vegas I needed work, to be yes. revived. I needed to be revived. So I needed an IV. I needed a B12 shot. Well, that's what Baker needs, and it just won't happen. It just won't happen. I don't think it's going to be in Cleveland. Now, when you look at Jacoby Brissett, he is a guy who is mentally tough. Bill Parcells is one of his mentors. He played for Bill Belichick. He is mentally strong. He has a run game, two running backs that uh, he can rely on. He has two solid tight ends. He has a receiver, has an offensive line. The same exact thing that Baker Mayfield had and didn't do anything with last year. Plus, I can count on Jacoby Percent not missing a wide-open Amari Cooper, just like I watched Baker Mayfield miss Odell Beckham Jr., who went to the Rams and balled out and won a Super Bowl. He was not the problem, like he did when he missed Jarvis Landry, who was no longer with the Browns. Look at those two guys I just mentioned. Two guys 
guys who were phenomenal wide receivers that wanted to get the hell out of Cleveland because of Baker Mayfield. So I'm going with Jacoby Brissett. I don't have a problem with you choosing Jacoby Brissett if it's an issue inside the locker room or even a, so to speak, mental issue with Baker, not that there's a mental component there. I'm just saying in far as, as far as his satisfaction being a part of that locker room now, because yes, he seems to have wanted to seek a trade because they were going after Deshaun Watson. That doesn't rub him the right way. The situation has become very fractured with the Browns. There's a story out there that the Browns wanted to find an adult, which listen, we can have a conversation about them mm, moving on to a guy on, with, the, with all the pending allegations against him uh, in terms of an adult but nevertheless there's all these stories out there about Baker and about the Browns and the aforementioned former teammates that you just mentioned as well and because of that I think the Browns have to move Baker like I do not understand how you could bring Baker back into this locker room and play football with Baker from that perspective I get it what I don't get is what you told me off air that Jacoby Brissett is better than Baker Mayfield well what I'm saying he was better for the Browns situation Amber he's better for the Browns situation that's not what because you said. listen, in the pre-show meeting, no, America needs to I know because you jumped said. on me. You jumped, you jumped on me. You didn't let me explain it. You jumped on my throat as soon as I said it. Now, when I say this, you look at Baker Mayfield. In my eyes, Baker Mayfield is two. Uh, he's two years away from being one of the biggest busts and one of the biggest busts at the number one pick overall in NFL history. If you can't do it with the roster that you had in Cleveland, how in the hell are you going to do it with a roster who was that is not as good as the one you had in Cleveland? How? Tell me how. I'm waiting. Okay, it's but how is Jacoby impossible. Brissett going to do it? I mean, I, that's, I mean, just from a pure football perspective, again, I bet I he's better than, I bet he's better than Baker in the locker room. I bet he's better than Baker in the locker room. Is he? I, I have no idea. I mean, is he? Like, at this point, he's become a journeyman in the NFL. Like, I, he wasn't knocking my socks off last season when well, I was watching him in the locker room. Everyone doesn't have the luxury of being a number one overall pick and getting chance after chance after chance to screw up, to screw up, to screw up. Well, if Jacoby Brissett was the and, number one pick, he would get chance after chance after chance after chance Jacoby's like Baker Mayfield. college career didn't pan out quite the way that Baker's did, and he did transfer out of Florida and all that you stuff. You forgot that, that Baker Mayfield was a transfer too, right? He was, but it worked out okay. a little bit better for Baker yeah, Mayfield because of the in coach terms of success. He, had. He, he earned that number one pick. Because that was only four years ago. We're two because years he's slow, removed from a great he's small, season from Baker. And he can't play. All right, we got to move on before we get too heated up in here. Atlanta Falcons head coach Arthur Smith, he joined the show next. That This is ESPN Radio.